batteries. They're always a good thing. Yes, praise God for batteries. Thank you guys uh, for singing happy birthday, uh, even though that is painful for me. Thank you. Um, there's not many things I loathe more in this world than that. Uh, so like, I empathize when kids cry when they get sang happy birthday because I want to cry on the inside. Um, but yesterday was great, man. Just on my birthday, I got to spend literally all day with my family, which is always a cool thing. We got to bounce around from party to party and celebrate, watch Nate and Maddie get engaged, which was awesome, and um, Christian get commissioned, and just all of these parties, Macy. And, uh, and then I got to take a nap somewhere in there, which was just so good to have a nap. Yeah, right? Yay, naps. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. I'm excited to see just some of the college students graduating and, and the progression the church is in. I mean, even though, yes, we're low because majority of college students went home this weekend, um, we were seeing more and more that college students are getting a job and sticking around here in Dahlonega, uh, which just is really exciting to see. Um, so before we jump in, just a quick thing of business. Uh, where's Caleb? Laminac. Caleb, come here. Where's KDM? Can, you, can someone go grab her really quick? Um, so for, for those that don't know, uh, we, the children can stay unattended for a second. It's fine. Um, no, no I, I didn't say that. No. Uh, so, yeah, for those that don't know, we've rolled out membership. We're starting to do church membership. Um, throughout the summer, we're going to do it as needed. So if you have interest in, or you are interested in joining the church, uh, you've got to go through a prospective members class. Just fill out a communication card throughout the summer. Let us know, and we'll do it as needed. Once school starts back in August, we'll start doing it once a month again. Um, but we just wanted to announce a couple um, of our earliest members. So come here, KDM. Um, Kate Ann and Caleb Laminak are, have been approved by the elders for membership. Um, so this is the, yeah. The cool thing is that Kate Ann is the first member of the branch ever. Um, so she was the first one to turn in her paperwork. Uh, it was passed off to the elders. We unanimously approved her. So she is the first member ever. So uh, Ricky, if you'll bring that prize up for her. Um, also, you can grab a seat, man. Thank you. Kaden is also the first official intern for next year. Uh, so, yes, this girl just loves to be on top of it, which is awesome because none of our staff do. So, stop it. Uh, so, if you have any questions about the internship, the leadership pipeline we have here, please come talk to me um, and we'll get that going. But Kaden is the first of both. So, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you have your Bibles, Luke 17 is where we're going to be. Um, if you ha know the branch, the history of the branch, we are um, big expository preachers. We love just preaching through the book of, books of the Bible. Uh, we've got this week and next week we'll be in Luke, and then we're taking a break for a summer series um, called Celebrations of Discipline. So we're going to look like what does it really mean to have discipline as far as our biblical walk. And so Ricky will kick that one off on May 27th. Uh, but, but here's what I've learned about this church, and I think it's kind of universal everywhere, but, but this church specifically. Uh, we have a clear line of two different demographics here. Um, we have the type A'ers, the nuts and bolts, the detail-oriented people like Katie Ann that got everything that she was supposed to get turned in like right away. Um, and then we have uh, the, the other side, which doesn't care about deadlines or procedures or any of that, that they just, 
laissez-faire, those kind of people. Uh, it's, it's hard for me not to be sarcastic here. I know that's a personality type, but I don't understand it. So um, raise your hand if you're over here. This, the nuts and bolts, I've got to follow the rules. I've got to understand the process, the procedures. Raise your hand if that's you. All right, raise your hand if you're over here that you right now, you don't want to raise your hand because you're like, I just don't know if I'm cool enough for this. Like, um, that just laissez-faire, live and let live. You don't really get bothered by much. Raise your hand. Hi. I don't understand you guys. Um, but somewhere in the middle is just us. And like most things, um, if, we have, if the church has too much of this attitude of the creative, the imagination, um, we're going to sit around and talk all day about what it would mean to be a church or a missional community or a believer, but we're never actually going to get anything done. We're just going to dream about it and create it. But over here, if we spend all of our time here, we're going to know everything there is to know about being a Christian and being a church, um, but we're going to run everyone off in the process because we're just going to be a bunch of jerks. But somewhere in the middle is where the beautiness of the church and the kingdom comes from. Um, and what you guys probably don't know uh, is music is a lot like this. Any musicians in here? Okay. So I am a very type A, detail-oriented structure, and I love it. Um, but I'm also a musician. I've grown up making music. And, and here's what you probably don't know about music. Did you know that every time a song starts, it starts with math? Did you guys know this? that music begins with math. So there's a structure to it. One of the first things you have to understand about music is the tempo. Tempo is broken down to beats per minute. So how many beats fit into one minute? So most worship songs are like 90 to 120 beats per minute, right? I mean, this could be a trick question, so don't answer out loud lest you sound dumb. Um, but just like how many beats per minute or is normal for our lives? 60 seconds, right? Like, so 60, if you watch a clock, it's 60 beats per minute. That's kind of the root of music. But then next you have what's called a time signature. So it's literally a fraction on the sheet music, right? So uh, most music is four over four. So the top, top note is what note gets the beat. So quarter note gets the beat. The bottom is how many beats per measure. So that's how music is done. That every note, eighth note, 16th note, 32nd note, a whole note, half note, there's just, no, it's all music. And then you also have what, uh, see I'm a drummer, so I'm going going to blank on this one a little bit, but what key it is in, I don't really know that stuff. I don't have to tune drums, but, but it's all math, right? But you have guys like me that understand music that I can pick up a guitar and I can find a scale on a guitar just because I understand the math behind it, whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. That's how you make a scale. It's all mathematics to me, but then you have the other guys that can just pick up a guitar and play incredible just by ear. They have no knowledge of what's called music theory, right? Does it doesn't matter to them. They can't read sheet music. They don't understand any of that. But if they can hear something, they're creative enough just to do it, right? I was driving the car with Nate Brooks uh, one time, and that's how he, he doesn't really know how to learn sheet music, but if you ever heard the guy shred on the guitar, he's gifted, he's talented, he understands what it means. But there's a spectrum here of structure, and mystery. When you listen to music, you often forget about the structure. You just get lost in the mystery of the sound. Has anyone ever been to like an actual big symphony orchestra play? You ever heard that? When this, or even during worship, when this is taking place, you're not thinking, I wonder what time signature this is. 
You're right? I mean, some of us may be like, man, let me pull up my metronome and get the beats per minute. No, we're just caught up in the mystery of the music. This just moves us. And so what we're going to see this morning is that structure is beautiful, mystery is beautiful, and we've got to be okay with both. Because Jesus is going to address salvation, the soteriology of salvation. And if, we, if we're not careful, we're going to get so caught up in the structure that's visibly here that we start to lose the mystery of what it takes for Jesus to create salvation for us, the structure and the mystery. So Luke 17, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's some floating around here. Please take that. We want you to see it with your own eyes. We want you to understand Scripture. And um, if we can help you learn to study the Bible, please let us know. Pick it up in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up, lifted up their voices, saying, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14. When he saw them, he, had, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to them, rise, or to him, excuse me, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So let's pray. And Father, we're thankful for your word. God, we are um, drawn to the structure of this story but Father, let us fall in love with the mystery that takes place. Jesus, you're so good to us. We don't deserve any of what we're about to read and study. Jesus, but thank you for your love and thank you for your grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, so here's what I want to do with us this morning. Um, there's a clear structure for salvation. If, I mean, I know that's kind of a churchy word if you've grown up in, in more of a, a or Southern Baptist kind of uh, revivalist kind of church. You better get saved. Everything's about getting saved, right? Like that's the process of it. What does salvation mean? And so here we're going to see that through this lepers the clear structure of salvation. But what we're not going to see is the heart of the Father, the motivation of what would make Jesus do this. This is the mystery that we see. So um, with one finger, I want you to keep your place in Luke 17. With the other, I want you to go to Ephesians 2. So we're going to lay Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, right on top of Luke 17, 11 through 19, and work our way through both. Because I want to make sure that hermeneutically we're staying true to what this text means. So I'm not just creating some structure for us this morning, but, but what we'll see is this story follows exactly Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So here, here's the structure. Again, just to please some of you type heirs in this room. Um, here's the structure for us. Now. That would have been awesome. All right, I'll just read it. Um, total depravity starts first. Someone yell at me when it's behind me. Um, total depravity starts first. Uh, nope. Uh, total depravity is the first thing that we'll see, um, followed up by God's mercy, then man's gratitude, then God's grace, then man's salvation. So this is the progression that we'll see. I'll, I'll say it one more time. The first thing that we'll see is total depravity, 
followed up by God's mercy, which leads to man's gratitude, which leads to God's grace, which is ending in man's salvation. So that's the progression that we'll see through Luke and through Ephesians 2. The first, verse 12. And as he entered into a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Now, leprosy is just, it's no joke, man. I mean, it is um, gruesome. It is a painful way to die. It's literally flesh falling off of you. I mean, it's comical to think about, but it's horrific to, like, actually imagine that, like, you're just walking down the road and your nose just falls off. Like, just falls off. Like, I once had a nose. Now I no longer have a nose. I mean, that's just what leprosy does to you. So because of this Jewish culture, because of where they lived, they were required to walk around. Anytime they'd walk into a building, they would walk down the street, they're having to scream, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. The unclean are coming, I'm unclean, because the Jewish law wouldn't let them be six feet away from anyone else. So they had to shout out with a warning. Here, I am coming in, watch out, move away. The lepers are coming through. So, of course, if you're living this isolated lifestyle, what's going to happen? You're going to start hanging out with the other lepers, the ones that you can't get sick, the ones that already have the disease. So they would always, or typically travel within packs, but they'd have to live outside, um, live outside the city walls. They weren't really allowed to follow anyone. That's what would take place. Now juxtapose that to our culture today, especially in the South, in the Bible Belt, especially in America. How many of us willfully walk around saying, I'm unclean, I'm, un- I'm sinful, be weary of me. No, what do we walk around with? I'm so good. I've got this figured out. We walk around with this swagger of, I'm, I'm good, just follow me. One of the earliest, he's no longer with us. Now, he didn't die. He's just moved on. That sounded really weird. <laughs> Rest his peace. He's no longer with No. Um, one of our earliest church member or church uh, core team guys had this idea that we never actually did because it was really bold, but, but sometimes I wonder what it would be like. Have you ever gone to places that, that require a name tag? Like you, you fill out a name tag and put it on you so everyone knows your name. Chris's idea was that instead of putting our name, we'd put our, our deepest, darkest sin. Right? So you walk in, you fill out a name tag, go ahead and put it on you and walk around. Like how, how quickly would that level the room? That we would be like these lepers walking around going, man, I'm not clean. I don't have any of this figured out. But our American culture, we, we don't run that way. We say, no, I am clean. I've, I've got it figured out. I'm doing okay. And, and the typical illustration that I've made and that a lot of pastors I've heard made to understand this idea of total depravity, to be like these lepers, knowing that, that we have no hope, that we have no future, that death is inevitable for us, is kids, right? I mean, just a couple weeks ago, my little one, Carolee, who's just over a year, um, bit the crap, I'm sorry I said that, um, bit the mess out of my two-year-old. I mean, I'm not talking like a little bit. I'm talking, I thought we were going to have to get stitches, flesh in the mouth, just gnarly blood dripping down kind of bite, right? There's no blood, but just let your imagination go. I've never bit anyone, ever. Bree, ever bite? Is that how you discipline when I'm not home? Through, I mean, who modeled for our one-year-old other than just sin and depravity to bite when you get angry? And she gets angry often. She probably got that one for me. But just to bite, there's just sinful nature in us. But, but maybe another illustration that would help us understand more today. How many of us still struggle with the same sin over and over and over again, wishing we could defeat it? 
How many of us still wrestle with this one thing that from the moment, even before we were a believer, through being a Christian, still to this day, there's one or two sins that you cannot shake no matter what. That you've prayed for, you've tried everything for with grace-driven effort, you've left it in front of the Lord saying, you please take this from me, but we still struggle with this thing today. It's depravity. It is the, the echoing of the culture that we live in. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 starts with this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Romans 3 would put it this way, um, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. And the author of Romans is quoting Psalms. None is righteous, no one understands. We're all dead in our sin. There's nothing we can do to choose life by ourselves. We are the lepers. We are the ones that death is inevitable for us. Unless something interjects in our life, we will not make it. We are depraved. There's nothing we can do. We were born because of, Romans would say, the sins of Adam. We were born into a sinful world. We are depraved. It would be more fitting for us to walk around not pretending like we've got everything figured out, but to walk around screaming we were unclean. The unholy ones are here. That is the depravity. That is where we resonate first with the lepers. And that is the first step to salvation. That if we don't come to this conclusion that we are by nature depraved, that we can do nothing to choose life, we'll never move forward in the process of salvation. But the story continues, verse 13. And the lepers lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. The lepers, knowing their depraved state, begged for mercy. Now we just have to stop here and go back to them. I mean, this is all going to be compounding on one another. If we don't understand our depraved state, if we think we can fix ourselves, then would we ever beg God for mercy? Would we ever ask for help? If it's in our being, if it's in ourselves to make ourselves clean, to make ourselves holy, then it makes no logical sense then for us to plead with God for mercy. It means let's do this better. Let's try harder. Let's pursue holiness by ourselves. But if we resonate with the lepers and understand our depraved state, then we cry out for mercy. And in this day, they had to go to the priest, the lepers did, to show that they were now clean so they could be welcomed back into the community. One of the authors I read this week said, a prayer for mercy is a prayer always answered in the Gospels. A prayer for mercy is a prayer always answered in the Gospels. When anyone cries out for mercy out of their depraved state, God always answers those prayers. So out of God's mercy, he says, yeah, go. Go to the priest. Go show yourselves to be clean. And on, on their way, they were cleansed. Mercy. 
mercy. What is, what is mercy? What does this look like? Because we see Jesus having mercy for the lepers. We understand that a prayer for mercy is always answered in the Gospels. What is mercy? The, the first thing we have to understand about mercy is what is Jesus doing in this story? He's on his way to his death. He's walking to Jerusalem knowing that his impending doom is coming. But he still has time to stop and have mercy on us. I think just sidebar, so many of us walk through this life thinking, man, God's busy. God doesn't have time. God's not concerned about this. He's got more bigger things going on than my little problems. I'm not even going to bother him with that. But these lepers didn't have that attitude. They knew that they couldn't do this on their own. So they were freely crying out to Jesus on the way to his death, please have mercy on us. So mercy, not being given what you deserve. Definition of mercy, not getting what you deserve. Now, now just for a second, think of the worst thing you ever have done, specifically growing up in your parents' household. What is the worst thing you ever did? And don't say it out loud because I'm like holy pastor and I just can't be around you sinners. So keep it to yourselves. What is the worst thing that you've ever done? Now imagine the consequence that was coming your way and you walk in, your parents just say nothing. And you just, your life continues on. You deserved, I mean, I don't know what your punishment in your house was, uh, paddling was a common occurrence in my home. You know those little rubber balls that came on the paddles, right? My parents, it was just a cruel trick. They're not here, so I can throw them under the bus real quick. Um, they would like purposely, here, son, have as many of these as you want, because they knew within five seconds the string was going to break, and then they just hoarded them in the drawer inside of our dining room, and that's what they would spank us with. And we never caught on. What? Anyways, think of the worst things you did and the consequence coming for you and your parents said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to give you that. When I was in high school, and I still to this day think my consequence is going to be coming, uh, I, I did a really uh, dumb thing, stole some road signs and, and whatever. Um, and so cops pulled us over, and it was a great time, not really. And so they called, uh, well, we tried to get them to call my friend's sister and act as, she was supposed to act as the mom, but it didn't work out. So all of our parents got called, we got lectured and all this. So I vividly remember walking into my parents' home the next day because I didn't go home that night, thinking like, man, it's been a good 17 years. Like, this is, this is the end of my life. Uh, I just had a few hours before my shift at Subway. I was like, man, the, should I just call Subway and say, I'm not coming. Make that tuna salad yourself, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm dying. Have, have a good life. Uh, nothing happened. Now, if you know my parents, they're pretty by the book. And I was like, is this, is this a cruel joke? So the whole, my whole shift at, Star, or at Subway, I'm making food and sandwich artisan and all that kind of stuff. And, um... It's a career, stop. Sandwich artist is no joke. Go home that night thinking like, okay, this is it. Like, gloves are off. I'm coming home and like, it's, it's been real. So I called all my friends on the way home. Like, hey man, just, I just, I love you. I'll see you on the other side, bro. It's going to be good. Nothing happened. Okay, like, are they going to kill me in my sleep? Like, should I stay up all night? Mercy. I deserved serious punishment but what my parents gave me was mercy. In that moment, they knew that I understood the weight of what I did. So they decided to show mercy. Not getting what we deserve.
Now, across the board, here's what we have to understand, and, and as we start to juxtapose some of these together, mercy is not getting what we deserve. The only reason that any of us are here, believer or not believer, is only by God's mercy. The only way that we're still living, that we're still breathing, there's culture taking place, is mercy because we know Romans. We know that the wages of sin is death. So all of us deserve death. But God is instantly showing this world mercy, believer or non-believer. Why? Because that's God. That is the mystery. We see the structure of mercy, but we can't understand it. We can't fathom it. That's where the mystery starts to come in. That's, we know the overture comes before the ballad, right? I lost almost all of you. We know that the verse comes before the chorus, right? Does that make a little bit more sense? But the transition is just a mystery for us. Why does God choose to show us mercy? I just don't know that we'll understand. Ephesians 2, again, as we start working through both. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 1 Peter 2.10 says something very similar. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's the, it's the structure after depravity as we cry out for God to have mercy on us so that we don't get what we deserve. The mystery comes into play and he answers that cry. He answers that plea. He answers that prayer. But here's where things start to get interesting. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. Now this is a huge deal. Nine left to go to the priest. And some were, all ten left to go to the priest. Somewhere in the process, they were cleansed. Nine keep going, but the Samaritan turns back. The foreigner turns back. The one that was not raised in their culture, did not understand the rules and the regulations. He was the one that turned Back And here's where things start to get interesting because there's a big jump after God's mercy to man's gratitude. The us growing up in the South, growing up in the Bible Belt, having enough knowledge of the Scriptures to kill us. Do, are we like the nine Jews that are walking to the priest, just worried about ourselves now that we're clean, but never stopping to give credit to the one that showed mercy on us? There's a word for this. Entitlement. Are we the entitled ones that thank God once for what he did for us, and then we say, no, no, but we'll take it from here in the great U.S. of A. That's how we live. Because we have everything we need. Worst case scenario in the United States of America is not that bad. It's not. So we see that God is, and we sing about it, that God shed his mercy on us. But then we just continue to live on like that means nothing for us. Too often we are content just to enjoy the gift, but not the giver. So I want to read a hymn real quick. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. It's a guy named uh, Martin Rencart. I want us just to read this together. I'll read it out loud. 
And just meditate on the words because what we'll see here is there's way more to this than meets the eye. It's called, Now Thank We All Our God. Has anyone heard this? Just curious. Okay. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things have done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Oh, may this bountiful God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us. And keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God the Father now be given, the Son and him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be forevermore. Now, let me just kind of paint the picture. We, we see this hymn. It's, it's praising God for who he is and all he's done for us. Now, thank us all, our God. But, but here's the backstory to Rencart. He was alive during the 17th century, right in the midst of the Thirty Years' War. And at this time of this hymn being written, there, in this Thirty Years' War, eight million people were killed during this war. Through the fighting, through the plagues, through the starvation, eight million people in the 17th century passed away through this time. He was the only pastor in his town left. It's rumored that he was doing between 40 and 50 funerals a day, including his wife. He did over 40,000, 4,000 4,000 funerals in one year. I mean, just let the gravity of that sink in. He was the, the, his house was the refuge for those that had no food, that had no water, that were ill, that were dying. It was him. He was the only pastor around. 40 to 50 funerals a day. He still writes this hymn, Now thank we all our God. Thank you, God, for the mercy that you've shown. Now, this is where the, 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 the thinning out really starts to take place. I don't have to contend with you much that we're all depraved, that we are by nature sinners. Most of us will come to that conclusion very easily. I don't have to contend to you. I don't have to argue with you, God's mercy. Most of us can see that. But there's a reason that only 10% came back to God to worship him, came back to Jesus to fall at his feet. There's a reason that 90% took the mercy and ran because they weren't truly thankful. They didn't understand the gravity of what Jesus had to do for this mercy to take place. They weren't truly thankful. And we see this through Rincart's hymn that he was he understood the gravity of God's mercy and was thankful for it, no matter what was going on. 40 to 50 funerals a day. It just blows my mind. And he still sits down to write, thank you, God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God being rich in mercy... 
because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together in Christ. So do we understand the weight of that mercy, of that love for us? Does it draw emotions inside of our soul that we just cannot keep in, that we did not get what we deserved? That every breath on this planet is not earned, it's given. That every gift that we have is not because we're great, it's because God is great. That we deserve nothing but in God and his goodness and his love for us, through his mercy, has allowed us to have it. Are we truly thankful for that? Because what we're about to see is, is a lot of us jump from mercy to grace and skip over the thankfulness, the gratitude, but that is not allowed. The mystery there, the structure there doesn't allow us to skip from mercy to grace. If we don't understand mercy, we will never understand grace. So let's keep going. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered, were not ten, ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? The foreigner said to him, or he said to the foreigner, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So here's what we see, that this phrase Jesus uses over and over again. Your faith has made you well. Rise. We see it in John 10. We see it all over every miracle that takes place when worship is the response after that. Jesus always uses this phrase, rise. Your faith has made you well. Go. So in, in a verbal processing, a teaching moment for Jesus, he starts to distinguish to us the difference between mercy and grace. That physical health was given to the men for mercy, but spiritual health, salvation, was only given to the man that came back and worshipped. So that all ten received mercy, only one received grace, and the predicate for that grace being received was this man's thankfulness. That he received it. Before grace can take place, thankfulness and gratitude must be present and that only comes through mercy, and that only comes through depravity. That is, the, that is the structure to which this mystery takes place. So grace being given a good thing that you don't deserve, right? So mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace, getting a good thing that you don't deserve. So let's go back real quick to my story about me stealing the road signs and seeing, receiving mercy and all that. We understand mercy because I did not get what I deserved. Did not get punished, did not get killed. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. But here's what grace would look like in this illustration. I go to work the next day. I'm making sandwiches, right? Cold cut combo, $5 out the door. You're good. I get home that night, and what's waiting for me? A party. Brand new car in the driveway. All of our family and friends are there, and we party all night. Everyone brings gifts. My parents have bought me a brand new F-250. Pastor Appreciation Month's coming up September. Just throw that out there. <laughs> Diesel, not the gas. Come on. Right? I mean, that is what a picture of grace would look like, man. That mercy, I, did, I didn't get in trouble, I didn't get punished, but go all the way to grace and I get celebrated. I get something I totally don't deserve. But if I don't understand mercy, if I don't understand the weight that I didn't get what I deserved, I'll never appreciate the grace for getting what I didn't deserve. 
So for all of us, we, we can understand depravity. We can even start to understand God's mercy and, and why we all still exist, even though this is a fallen world. But without the gratefulness of God's mercy, we'll always take for granted his grace. We'll never actually understand it. We'll never celebrate it. We'll never walk in it because why? We think we deserve it. We think we have earned it for some reason. As I was studying and researching about this, uh, this guy had a similar illustration about time out but getting ice cream. That everyone, no one wants to talk about someone getting, not getting time out, but everyone wants to jump straight to the conclusion of getting ice cream. That no one wants, I don't want to tell the story about me not getting in trouble, I'm going to jump straight to the part of me getting the F-250. So the church, in a good, rightful way, we have pushed grace so hard that we've belittled mercy in the process. We have allowed people to forget that first off, we did not get what we deserved. Secondly, then, we get what we don't deserve, which is Christ in heaven for eternity. Ephesians 2, 5 through 9 puts it this way. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a result of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no man can boast. So in mercy, God spared us, and in grace, God saved us. But if we don't understand the weight of his mercy, we'll never understand the weight of his grace. If we're not truly appreciative and have humble gratitude, if we're not the one leper that turns running back and falls at Jesus' feet, then we will not receive grace. Ten men that day were healed. One man was saved. We cannot forget those numbers. We cannot miss the point of what he's saying. Lastly, jump back to Luke 17, 19. And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So from depravity to God's mercy to man's gratitude to God's grace is man's salvation. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, one of the things I just love about Jesus through all of his miracles, and, and now his death is so close that he stopped saying this, but early on he would always say, go, but, but don't tell anyone. Don't, don't tell anyone what I've done yet, because he knew that he had many things to accomplish, and if word got out too soon, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were going to try to have him murdered even faster. So don't tell anyone but if we as believers have gone through the steps and we've understand the mystery that is Christ, that we were depraved, that we were the leper, sinful and broken with no hope, and we see Jesus walking by and we cry out for mercy saying, Father, please have mercy on us. And he does. He heals us. We've been made new. We come running to the feet of Jesus and we're bowing down before him, crying, singing, celebrating what we could not accomplish on our own. Christ has done for us and we get up and we sing, do you think we're going to keep going like nothing happened? Do you think when this man walks away from this situation he goes, hmm, I could finally go into Moe's again. Let's go get a burrito. Man, I've not been able to walk into town for 20 years since I've been a leper. What's new? Chipotle? Psh, 
mows all the way, right? Do you really think that his mind is going to go that way? Do you really think he's going to go, man, now that I have like life again, how can I make some money? No, brother is not going to shut up telling everyone about what Jesus did for him. Ephesians 2.10, this is where we wrap up Ephesians. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. The majority of us as Christians looks like this. We get geared up for the game. We're sitting in the locker room with all of our friends. We've got our cleats on. We've got our shoes on. We're we're ready to play. We can hear above us the stadium going crazy, chanting our name, chanting our team name. We're ready to play, and all of our friends get up, and they run out the tunnel. Everyone goes crazy. Fireworks are going off, and we sit there. We do nothing And we hear the play-by-play taking place. We hear that our team's winning or our team's losing. We hear the roars of the crowd. We hear the booing of the referees. We hear it all, and we just sit there doing nothing. And when our team comes back in, we high-five for the victory. We weep with them for the loss, but we were never actually in the game because we did not understand the process that we think we can go from depravity to mercy to thankfulness from our hearts to God's grace and our life can stay the same. And I would urge with you, brothers and sisters, if that's true for us, I don't know if we've gone through the process. I don't know if we've wrestled with the mystery that is the kingdom. I don't know if we understand what salvation looks like and how it takes place. Uh, we've done the, the life shapes in all of our missional communities, and one of the ones that we went through was the triangle, the up and out. How is our up? How is our relationship with God? How is our in with community? How is our out going on mission? And all of our MCs came back the same as we all asked the same question. Where's our strength? Where's our weakness? All of us said, no, our up and in's pretty good. All of our MCs, our outs are pretty weak. Now, now here's the trick to this. Here's the beauty of the structure that Jesus lays out for us. Then let's just start working our way through the structure. Do we understand our depraved state? Or has that been so long ago that we've started to forgot how bad we really are? Have we taken for granted God's mercy in our life? Do we think that, man, we're, we're okay, that God didn't really save us from anything? He didn't really have to punish us because we've done okay? Because of the depravity and the mercy that God has shown us, are we truly grateful for that mercy? Are we the leper that comes and falls at the feet of Jesus? Are we the 90% that walked away? And after we've wrestled with that, then, then we stop to wrestle with grace. Do we understand what God has actually given us? That he didn't have to. That we didn't deserve any of this. It's only by grace that we've been saved. It's by mercy that we've been made right, and it's by grace that we've been saved. And from that, if we dwell on the structure, if we welcome in the mystery, there's no way that we cannot walk in Ephesians 2.10. There's no way that we can't walk into the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. There's no way that our life isn't going to look different. There's no way that we're going to sit in the locker room and never go play. It's not possible when we've worked our way through these steps and understand the depths and the severity of all of them. There's just no way. So so my question for us this morning is, where are you in this process? 
I mean, I'm not ignorant enough to know that, that all the way back in the beginning that some people just don't think that by nature we're children of wrath. That, that, that you don't begree, agree with depravity. That you think that there's some goodness in you. There's just a little bit of badness. And I'd argue with you, can an apple tree produce an orange? Maybe it's mercy. Maybe it's you're not grateful. Maybe it's the grace but now that we've seen the structure, let us marvel at the mystery. And if we are there, if we have received salvation and we're walking in the good works that God has provided for us beforehand, then let communion this morning be an overflow, an overcry of our heart's gratefulness for him. And if you're not there, if you've not worked all the way through the structure, man, I'm so grateful that you're here. We've got elders that would love to talk with you, to pray with you. We've got MCs that would love to invest in you, to work you through this structure. But I would ask, if you haven't gotten all the way, then you would just refrain from taking communion this morning. Because communion for us is a culmination of this mystery that we just get to remember the goodness that is Christ. So, so where are you? Where's your hiccup? What are you wrestling with? Let's pray. Father, now that we understand the structure, let us marvel at the mystery. Why did you show mercy to those lepers? Why were you walking through that town at that time? Why did you not give them what they deserved? And why did you give the one that came back something that he could never deserve? When they deserved death, you made them whole. And when they deserved nothing more, you gave them salvation. Why? Father, in my own soul, I do not understand. I know the sinfulness in my heart more than anyone in this room does. There are things that I am ashamed that I think and believe and feel. But God, you still answer my plea for mercy. Even though I deserve death, there's nothing I deserve anywhere remotely near you. When I cry out for mercy, you answer. And when I fall at your feet, you give me grace. So Father, let us be a church that understands the structure and marvels at the mystery. Let us be communities that can see the structure but marvel at the mystery. Let us be individuals that can explain the structure yet still marvel at the mystery of why you are good to us. When all we deserve is death because of the sin that's within us. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that we've been saved and that's not of our own doing so that no one can boast. It's only a gift from you. But God, let us never forget that, Father. Although we deserve sin 
and death, but God stepped in. So this morning, as we wrestle with these truths, Father, would you speak truth in our hearts? As we celebrate through communion and worship, would you remind us of your goodness and your grace and your mercy for us? Let us be renewed this morning in your gospel. It's only by your mercy, it's only by your grace that we pray. Amen.